0: Welcome to the Deep Tech Show. In this podcast, Edmar Ferreira will be joined by expert guests as they dive into the world of deep tech. We are telling the stories of the heroes who are taking real risks to give us a future of flying cars, virtual reality, robots, and space exploration. Enjoy the show. Today's guest is Daniel Mogilny, an engineer from the University of Toronto and co-founder of Stratum AI a YC-backed startup creating more accurate resource models with machine learning in the mining space. So today I'm here with Daniel from Stratum AI. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, man. And we're going to explore a lot about AI and deep tech today. So to start, how did Stratum AI get started? Like, What's your origin story?
1: Yeah, sure. That's a a great story. Uh, Probably not the most fancy one. Um, There was an incubator in Toronto called CDL. Um, Essentially, I met someone who became my co-founder at that incubator. Uh, Originally, we weren't really doing this kind of company. You know, that incubator itself didn't really go anywhere, but I met somebody who became a great co-founder and uh, who I ended up working together with. Um, Her name is Farzi. She has a background in nanotechnology. I have a background in deep learning. um, So we kind of combined the two skill sets and eventually we found a way in the mining industry and have been working at it ever since. Oh, this is cool. But the,
0: you and, and her, was like different companies inside this uh, it was
1: um, It's one of those programs where you apply as like a person, not as a company. Oh, kind of the idea. I see. You're supposed to like form a company doing... Uh, so this specific one was quantum machine learning. Um, we oh. realized that quantum computing is was, was a little bit early to do a startup in, but machine learning was... Uh, a perfect time to do a startup then. so we ended up not doing that incubator but uh, we did stay together and create a kind of what i hope to be is a successful machine learning company
0: yeah yeah this is this is interesting but where the the idea came from like it's just i was really yeah sure interested about like mining like ai in mine is just so so different from what i'm seeing in most like even most ai startups like it's, it doesn't, doesn't seem to be like a uh, usual <laughs> Uh, sector, so it's really interesting. How do how do guys?
1: Yeah, so generally, like what I love the most about mining and why I think AI is a perfect fit for mining is that mining is a very linear process that's very that's very data driven. Like at the end of the day, you want to find if there's a mine there, you want to confirm there's a mine there, you want to figure out how you're going to build it, and then you go mine it. Uh, you know, section by section by section, getting data as you go and kind of correcting your processes. Then you go mine it up and then you decide, okay, do I want to process it? Do I not want to process it? So it's a super linear process with a bunch of data driven decision making at every step. So it's uh, in my opinion, when I when I saw that space, I realized it was super ripe for kind of AI disruption. So, um, you know, the, the actual problem we're solving is called resource modeling. It's just one step of that value chain. But is the step that we found is kind of the most ready for disruption, so we ended up doing it kind of over the past few cool. years. Um, resource modeling for context is um, basically what we do is we create more accurate resource models for mining. A resource model is a, uh, it's it's like a 3D grid where at every grid point you predict like how much gold you think there is at that grid point. So it's like a big 3D map and you're like, at every point, how much gold is yeah, there? And it's a it, specific for gold, or you guys are working with any, anything? Anything, any a, any metals? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we work with we work with gold. We work with copper. Uh, we work with nickel. Uh, we work with zinc, uh, cobalt, uh, nickel. Really. And, e- and a- so the problem you guys are solving, basically,
0: you make it creating this resource map more precise by using machine learning. Yes.
1: So. So um, when you do a resource models, um, so the easiest way to think about it is um, you basically, you have these narrow holes in the ground and like there are physical holes that you drill in the ground that are like 200 meters deep. And uh, each hole is like $10,000 to drill. And along that hole, you collect chemical assays, you know, every meter or so, how much, let's say gold you found. And then what you do is you, you get all these holes, you spend thousands and thousands of dollars and you still have a lot of space between the holes that you have unknown. And you basically want to guess... Uh, kind of as best as you can, what's in between each hole. Uh, So at at, at every point that you didn't sample, um, how much gold is there? Uh, Traditionally, they used weighted averaging techniques of various flavors over the past 60 years. Uh, We basically said, you know what? Let's throw all this weighted averaging out and let's replace this with machine learning by basically looking at all the historical data places you've mined of all these drill holes you put in the ground and basically y- let's actually use proper pattern recognition with machine learning instead of doing this kind of simple antiquated weighted averaging and then by doing that they
0: still need to drill the same amount of holes or it's a smaller amount
1: yeah so Generally speaking, you still drill the same amount of holes, but now you're way more precise in knowing where there's ore and where oh, there's I not. Um, and that way you can actually mine the ore and keep as much of the waste in the ground as you can.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like, how how did you guys got, like, the data to, to start doing this? Like, it's so interesting. Like, <laughs>
1: Yeah, so in, in deep tech startups of any flavor, to be honest, um, the biggest thing, uh, anytime you're doing any kind of machine learning, really of any sort, um, you need data to get results, but you need results to get data. Like For customers to give you data, they have to sh- you have to show them something is working and so forth. Um, the honest answer is there's no real way to crack this like chicken-egg problem particularly easily. Um, in our case, we got a really bad public data set. We got some results on it. They were, in hindsight, they were really bad, um, but it was something. And then we went to a customer and said, we did this on a public data set. Give us your data. They didn't give us all their data. They gave us like just the first kind of top of the food chain of the data. That's, that wasn't enough in the end, but it got us a better b- model. And then by the second customer, they saw early results and they gave us like all their data. And that was kind of finally the inflection point. where We can actually do proper machine learning and create good models.
0: Oh, this is, this is interesting. Like, And
1: all of those were unpaid. We got paid no dollars for that. And then on the on the third person we met, we showed the results on the proper data set and then we got paid. Okay. So it was uh, three steps of basically public iteration of like showing the most you have with, those, with kind of data you have, getting those results and then try to get more and trying to get more and eventually trying to get somebody to pay for it.
0: So you guys bootstrap from a public data set, get some yeah. more results and then show it someone that this get have something to show, right? Time yeah, exactly. Just, just convince the guys and give me your data for what? It's, yeah, but if you have a, a proof of concept, yeah, this is there's like usually who is your typical customer? Like, who you guys talk to in general on the mining industry, like.
1: Yeah, uh, so our target customer is operating mining companies. So mining companies that actually operate mines, um, we usually go for mid-tiers. So mining companies that operate at least two mines, um, they have more data and it's more easy to scale a company. And the stakeholders we go for are typically, um, so we fund, we need two people to buy in. Uh, We need one business executive and one geology executive. So the geologist is like the domain expert. He usually himself has no money and he has never pushed anything over the line at the company, um, but he's really smart and people trust him. Uh, the business executive may not know the fine tunings of geology well, but he knows how to get a deal over the line and he has a budget. So you need the two of them to buy in. If you get the two of them, you can get a deal over the line. And that's generally who we sell to. Yeah. And what's like the, the let's say the zeitgeist today in the mining
0: sector about AI? Like there's other companies doing AI in mining, like how is the, the, the market?
1: Yeah, so um, there's no company doing exactly what we do. Um, and that's usually common in these industrial spaces. Like if you're going into the space, there's like 50 problems you can solve. Why would you pick the problem somebody else is already solving? It just doesn't make sense. So you pick like the other 49 problem. Mm-hmm. Um, there's about, I would say, maybe 10... Uh, like proper AI mining companies there are. Like proper meaning, like they have more than two people and they have somebody who uses them. Um, There's about 10. um, They're all doing slightly different things, uh, various flavors. Um, For example, there's one Earth AI, great friend of mine. Um, They're basically doing AI for exploration. So they're trying to find new mines. Um, At the other hand, we're trying to very accurately, you know, model the fine tunings of how a deposit looks like so you can mine efficiently. Um, There's other companies, they're trying to optimize mills so they're basically trying to have a, a mining mill, which is like this think of it as like a smelter, it like turns rocks into like ore and um, they're basically trying to optimize the mill to basically respond to different rock contents to like have maximum energy efficiency. So that's just some companies I know and that's kind of the entire AI space in mining. And,
0: and how it is that like the industry in general, how it's like the, let's say, how eager to adopt new technologies. That's It's a traditional type of industry, you have a lot of like in off or they are more like future focusing right now, like how it's like the... the yeah, future. so it's,
1: it's it's very slow and very traditional. Um, the one saving grace is that the industry is pretty um, scattered. So what I mean, sorry, pretty fragmented uh, to use the proper term. So you have companies of various sizes and the ones that are successfully adopting innovation are the ones that are succeeding and continue to succeed. So just because the industry is fragmented and innovation, you know, creates value, um, generally it's conservative but there are some outliers who adopt pretty quickly uh we work with companies of various flavors just the ones that are slower you have to put in more effort um you have to um really think long-term with them like you can still persuade them it's just uh, it's not a it's not a two-month cycle it's more of like a year yeah i would yeah. say in general people are very enthusiastic about ai as an abstract concept it's just when it comes to the nitty-gritty of actually like running a pilot uh seeing the results uh i Allocating a budget, uh, signing a long-term contract—just all those steps take are very slow in mining. Yeah. But oh. I think in the abstract, people know that AI is big.
0: How long is like the 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 average like seal cycle in this?
1: Uh, well, I mean, uh, so I, I I would generally say it's about uh, six to twelve months. Yeah. So it, it takes some time. Um, the upside is that each each mine is like half a million to two million dollars in va- in like uh, revenue for us. So it's yeah. uh it's a high risk high reward kind of situation. Yeah, but,
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah, like. You have, like, a really interesting background in machine learning in, in AI. Like, in, as most of us know, it's a really hot field right now. It's a lot of opportunities, a lot of companies, a lot of things. Like, why bother starting a company and not, and not just going to work for a big tech company or anything like that? Like, why you decided to start a company instead of just cruising along a more traditional yeah, career? Yeah, so
1: I think... I think a lot of these companies and all these teams, um, not to, like, be disrespectful to them, but they're a little small-minded in what AI can do. Um, Like, I believe, for example, in our space, in the next 20 years, we're going to become, like, a completely integrated, like, AI brain of a mine. Like, like our models are responsible for every single decision across the entire mining value chain of, you know, from the time a mine is built to the time a mine is closed. Um, A lot of these research labs you see with, like, Google and and others, they're so focused on these abstract problems that are, like, very patchwork and have, uh, you know, little direct application to real life it's just like i feel they're almost selling the industry short like all the fun stuff you can do uh you can't do with these big companies just because they're so focused on this minutia that they're kind of losing sight of the bigger picture of like where we can actually apply this yeah
0: all the opportunities for applying yeah yeah and was there ever a time when you wanted to quit like
1: yeah, um, I mean, as a startup, there's many times, you know, you're you're tired, you're exhausted, nothing is working, you want to throw in the towel. Um, I think for me, uh, the biggest one was probably when we um, we had a big deal that fell through. Um, and we put all our eggs in one basket on this one deal. And um, it basically just completely fell through. Uh, and we didn't really allocate time to like diversify our customers who were just all tripled down on one. And I was very close to giving up. I was like, uh, our salt technology was still pretty early. There was no obvious sign that like, we were going to significantly outperform the industry. Our main customer didn't want us. Um, mainly for not even our own fault. Like there were some external market conditions that kind of canceled the project after like six months of work. And uh, I, I very much considered quitting. Um, in the end, um, I think what kept me in it was that I still like at that time, even in that, I believe that kind of given enough time and um Given enough data and given enough kind of perseverance. Um, I believe in the thesis that AI can, you know, this linear value chain of mining, I can make a huge difference on it. So if I just keep working away at it, I can kind of ev- eventually get there uh, kind of regardless of the downside. Yeah, yeah. I, th-
0: I, I think that this is a thing that people don't appreciate enough about. Like in my own company, like in the beginning, before I got to... 100 customers I thought about quitting many times in the in the early days but always something can happen um, in the end things work out uh, and and what is your routine like today like what's a day-to-day um, in, in your operation.
1: Yeah, so right now I think I spend about half a day on engineering. Like we, we have an engineering team now, so I basically I check in on the research. Uh, I, I usually check in on the research like two days a week, and then I, the other three days I check on like operations, which is basically like our active pilots we're running. Um, so I'll spend half the day on checking on how it's doing, uh, proposing ideas, making sure the ideas kind of I proposed earlier were followed up on, and the results like I I go analyze them. I kind of talk with my team members, I see what what ideas they have, and so forth. Sometimes I'll even do some implementation, but now the team is getting pretty big, but it's, um, I don't do it as much. Um, and then I'm probably about three o'clock hits and I'm doing sales until like the night. Um, so usually it's like writing emails, updating slide decks, yeah. updating contracts, email, email back and forth, chasing some people up who didn't respond to me from two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but how, how did you guys like
0: decide it on, how Did you guys work out like the... The split of responsibilities between the founders, like sorry.
1: yeah, so um, usually I would say the team is pretty small right now, so our responsibilities overlap quite a bit. It's just like depending on each other's schedules. You know, for example, I'm really busy with sales. My part will sometimes do some of like the project management. On uh, engineering work. Um, in terms of sales, we split by geography. So um, I cover Australia and uh, North America and Central Asia, and then Farzi uh, will cover uh, Latin America, Africa, um, some parts of the US. So I think like I do Canada, she does the US uh, as well as East Asia. So well, uh, will basically we get regions. familiar with it with our own region. Yeah, we get familiar with our own re- regional markets. Yeah. And like, have you ever done sales before? Uh, so I did not know any sales when I started the company absolutely none uh, it was probably um, so to me I originally thought okay maybe like I'll get one pilot and I'll like we'll raise a seat and I'll like I'll like hire in sales or something that, that was my original thought and um, I did by Combinator and I met this one guy a very successful entrepreneur his name is Ariel Kelman um, and he basically you know his, his previous company I think was um, kind of sold near a billion and his current one is well on untri- I try. Think, I think it's already over a billion like mm-hmm. he's, he's just probably one of the one of the smartest entrepreneurs I've met of like under 35.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and he basically told me that like from seed to Series A, um, if you don't know sales, you better learn quick uh, because you can't hire somebody for that. Um, the, first of all, the best sales people won't join you, you know, between seed and Series A anyway. But even if you find some of them, like how are they going to sell something if you can't teach them how to sell it? Like it's, it's something that you created. You found the market that it to, to actually make this a thing. Like if you cannot sell it, they most definitely can't learn. Um, yeah. So I, I took it very close to heart and I basically just kind of stepped up, learned to do it and delivered. I made a lot of mistakes. I learned from them. I tried a lot of things. I read a lot. And I just kind of through my own yeah. kind of ups and downs, uh, learned how to be good at sales. And eventually, you know, now I, you know, I have multiple customers I've closed already and um, kind of it, it's kind of becoming more natural but you know when I, when I first started I had no idea what I was doing with sales. I knew machine learning very well but uh, sales was an alien concept to me and I kind of really took this guy's advice kind of to heart and kind of went and executed. On
0: yeah it. this is this is I agree 100%. This is it's pretty hard to find someone to like the This phase, like there's more like founding sales. It's like there's even a book called Founding Sales, pretty good about that. It's really hard to outsource it. And and what resources did you use to learn? Like any books, courses, any recommendation? I think this is really important for founders, particularly technical founders.
1: Um, so in my case, um I found sales a little hard to read. Like you can read machine learning, you can read like fundraising i found sales to be a bit like a trade like i i struggle to like i i would read through a sales book and i'm like i don't know what i've what i should do yeah. uh i mean maybe some people are better you know i yeah. i maybe i'm just uniquely bad at this yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um for me it was um just talking to people who do sales founders who've kind of driven the sales on their teams and just kind of learning from their day-to-day. I think there was like five in my network who I just looked up to of various levels. Like not all, you know, super billionaire entrepreneurs, but like uh, various stages of being a startup. And I've, kind of, I've learned from them the day-to-day, the minutia, the small things they would do. And I would kind of try them out in my own mining company, customers, I'd see what works, see what doesn't, uh, and just kind of a lot of iteration based on, you know, this kind of yeah. learning by osmosis from these five people or so. And,
0: and your go-to-market strategy is going to be, like, scaling on the sales side, like having other reps and having a sales org, or what, what are you guys thinking?
1: Yeah, so for us, uh, our deal size is pretty big, um, but um, it, you have to be really good to get anything close, right? You know, it, there's a lot of pieces that have to come together. Um, are we're, we're generally going to have a lot of regional heads. So mining is very international when it comes to the geographies. So as we as our company scales, uh, we'll basically hire someone with, for each market and each sub-market. Uh, and basically hire people who are kind of well-suited to, to tackle that market, usually from that area. Um, so generally, we're looking at it. So we're probably having a pretty international team where each person is responsible for various ju- ju- jurisdictions. Um, that's the way we're currently kind of uh, looking to do it but again you know we're a we're a stage startup we're not a series b series c so if that doesn't work we'll change the strategy and do something different yeah and looking
0: at your experience like having a strong technical background now learning sales what do you think that is most like unique in a deep tech startup versus a non-deep tech or soft tech
1: i think it's um like when you're doing in a way it's almost harder like you still have to do sales in the same way any other startup does sales but now you have to also compete against like fundamental science to make something real right like yeah. in a sense it's like your your job is harder uh, now the thing is is that if you win you can conquer the entire market like if you if you get, if you crack that two part code, um, you have the option to win like absolutely massive. It's not like a 10% penetration at 15%. You can basically take 50 to 60% of a market in some of these enterprise markets, because if you snowball, like you're the winner in like seven, eight years. So it's, I would say the upside is higher, but you have both technology risk and still you have to do sales like anybody else. So that's, I I think it's just, mm-hmm. your, your job is harder, but your upside is higher. Um, the one upside I would say is that you're able to raise, I would say, two rounds without real revenue. While in like a tr- normal SaaS, it's one round. So like at most, you can raise your seed round at- in like normal SaaS without revenue. Yeah. Uh, in deep tech, you can do seed Series A uh, without real revenue, maybe some like pilots, but nothing like ARR related. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it makes sense because yeah, yeah, in SaaS it's really hard to do anything. Good like besides see without like a strong revenue growth actually to
1: see revenue growth yeah, yeah what what do you think is the size of this market that you're targeting so right now are the resource modeling stage uh it's about 10 billion 10 to 12 billion um that's just going off you know the size of the mining industry value creation to it in value capture and kind of the value capture we've proven the successfully capture in our sales it's about 10 to 12 billion um about um about half of that is from the three elements. So gold, copper and nickel was the ones we're targeting. So half, have six billions from that. Um, and then long term scaling kind of, if we actually, you know, over the next 10 years, crack this AI brain problem, basically being able to kind of the value chain I earlier covered, if we're able to execute in all those decisions is closer to about 50 billion. So if that's kind of, you know, small yeah. to big, uh, where the market looks like. And you'll see this a lot in VR, and. and Enterprise markets like they're uh, very slow moving, but the 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 pie is absolutely massive. So you just need perseverance, and <laughs> eventually you can crack it.
0: When you talk with people, investors, or even when you're hiring other people, what's the most common like misconception that people have about your business life? What's what's the thing that yeah, people so. Get from
1: it? Um, uh, the most common thing I see when people, for example, uh, come in not for mining, um, they'll look at us and be like, are you an AI for exploration company? Because that's the thing you hear the most on the news if you hear anything about mining and AI is basically, do you find new mines? Yeah. And um, the answer is we don't, but people often think that. And it's a pretty interesting thing because like, exploration is a very like popular thing. You find a mine, it's like hype, you get a bunch of PR. But if you look at revenue spending, um, exploration is about 0.5% of the market of mining. Oh. So for every... For every half a dollar spent on exploration, $100 are spent actually operating a mine. Uh, but it's just like that $0.5 everyone seems to fixate on. So uh, uh, we're happy we're in the $100, but people are really looking for the dollars sometimes.
0: Did, did you know that before starting targeting this this market or not?
1: Uh, so in my case, I did. I looked at, I considered being an exploration company when when I first started. Um, it was just the unit economics seemed really hard and the market size was pretty small. So, uh, and I was not the first to market. There was two other startups that made me first to market in that kind of exploration space. And I realized, you know, there's 49 other problems I can solve. So I'll go solve one of them. I don't need to do the same thing that they're doing.
0: Yeah, I think th- this is this is a great lesson, actually, because when you think like, As a machine learning engineer from the outside, maybe the coolest thing that everybody's talking about is not necessarily correlated with where the big market is or where the money actually is. So it's without a little bit of domain knowledge sometimes hard to get to the right opportunity. Yeah, this is this is interesting. And what do you follow as trends or you are seeing as trends in deep tech? Like what trends are you seeing that you find the most interesting?
1: Yeah, so um I there, there's a phrase being said the past couple of years that we're in a form of AI winter. Yeah. I think it's absolutely bullshit. I hate it. I think it's just like we're lacking creativity. Do you even say that? Like, like if you think about it, we've had gener- we've had generative models scale through the roof in academia in yeah. five years. They'll be applied in industry in various flavors. Just just because we can't instantly think of the solutions at the top of our head where they're going to be used doesn't mean they won't exist. There'll be plenty of them. Um, I think reinforcement learning will be absolutely huge. Uh, it's already showing promise in academia. So you know, there's about a five year lag between academia and startups. Yeah. So we'll see it. Um, so that's that, that's that's the thing. The things that I think. I'm the most interested in AI about. Um, I've heard quantum computing just on its own, the chips are getting better and better. I'm not really sure there'll be much software use for them just yet, but there might like to support an individual startup, but there's definitely, you know, there'll be various successful quantum startups that already started that will actually scale into being like actual hardware providers that are uh, more than just something like a fatty little tool, there will be something of actual use.
0: Do you think that... Quantum would have any application in your case, in your specific case or not?
1: Not anytime soon, I would say. Um, I think Quantum is, um, is, is still a little early for machine learning. I think the problems we're going to be seeing are more in optimization problems and more in protein modeling. I think that's where we'll see more applications. I think like quantum neural networks, um, the quantum chips have to get real stable for quantum neural networks to actually produce something of material value. I don't think that will happen in kind of the lifetime of our startup you know, maybe when we we're some mature company post IPO or something it might happen I, I don't know You know, I, I can't predict the future but uh, in the next 10 years I don't really see a case where it's particularly relevant yeah and what other
0: startup, like in the deep tech uh, do you admire or do you follow your work of
1: yeah so uh, I mean it d- depends on the, on the stage um, there was one YC company I uh, had the opportunity to invest in half a year ago called Hermes Robotics um, I think I thought it was a super cool problem so what they do is they retrofit uh, cleaning like trucks uh, to be autonomously driven. And then oh. they clean parking lots with it. Now, this sounds like really like why did I, why, why did I invest in parking lots? But um, in America, parking lots are about a 10 to 20 billion dollar market of just parking lots and like small roads. And it's much easier to get a cleaning truck on the road than a fully autonomous truck or car because it goes 10 kilometers an hour. A clean truck is very slow. So it's much more safe to get on the road. So it's uh, there's much less barrier to adoption, and then your market is surprisingly big for something so boring. But like somebody has to clean the roads, right? Somebody yeah. has to clean the parking lots. Uh, so it's uh, it's a classic case where you have automation on a big market, and it's something people don't really want to do anyway. Like yeah. these jobs of like because they're all at night, right? Remember, like you clean the stuff at night, so you're like a, like there's yeah. a, there's 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 already a labor shortage of people who want to like clean what's, roads at night. What's
0: the name of the company again? Uh,
1: hermes robotics
0: hermes robotics really interesting problem to solve never I haven't even imagined it but it's big it's big it's huge
1: yeah it's like like parking lots you're like would yeah. you would you start a parking lot like an autonomous <laughs> parking lot company probably not but uh it's a, it's a it's a classic case where sometimes like the not really sexy problems are the ones uh, that are pretty legit and do you really think the current autonomous companies will compete with them like do you think no um like Waymo will try to go yeah. cleaning parking lots, or no, like Tesla's no cars will clean parking lots. Probably not. Yeah, probably
0: not. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. Like, and what advice would you give to a founder starting a tech company?
1: Um, so I would say um, you have to look at one thing, kind of two things, the most when you when you when you first start. If you if you find a potential problem, um, so first of all, look at the problem and say, okay, if you believe the technology will work, um, it. Like, do the unit economics make sense? Like, if you make something ten to fifteen percent better with some in- innovation, and you know it's rarely fifty percent, usually ten to fifteen, uh, it, does that ten to fifteen create enough value for you to create a large company in? And then the second thing is the technology you're like the deep tech technology you're going to be applying. Is there a specific reason this has not been done before? So usually that reason is this technology has only existed for five to ten years in a state you can actually apply it to an industry with, and or you know. Uh, is this something you know? This technology can actually be suited for, and if the answer to those like two and a half questions is yes, then just commit to it. Don't give up, and know that like you're, if your thesis makes sense with enough perseverance, you'll make it to the end. But um, th- that doesn't mean you do anything in deep tech and you'll you'll succeed. But like if the yeah. economics are right, the technology is a good fit, uh, both time wise and like product fit wise, then just like keep going, and you'll want to give up often. But if you believe in the thesis, I think you'll make it. In, in your case,
0: why do you think the timing is good for for doing what you guys do right now?
1: I mean, TensorFlow came out in what 2016. Yeah. Like yeah. like like deep learning as a as a useful entity outside of like elite research labs has only been a thing for like five years, right? And yeah. when we started, it was only a thing for three years. Like we started in 2018, so yes. that was you know, three years old. That's how how old the how old the mature technology was. You know, ImageNet came out in 2013. Yeah. Uh, Resnet came out in 2015, so like it was like three-year-old technology. You know, now it's I think five years old. But even then, you know, it's uh, we we were able we we're able to get in the market at the right time because we were um, kind of uniquely placed to do so.
0: Yeah, yeah. And what are you, are some of your favorite books? Like, what do you like reading? Ooh,
1: um, so, I think my winning, when it comes to startups, um, there was you just got the name right for you. You you. You might have to get the transcript on this name, but it's uh, it's Aj Agrawal's uh, machine learning book. It's about machine learning e- economics. Uh, it's basically talking about what makes a problem well suited for machine learning. Oh, this is interesting. What's what's the name? It's by I, I know the author. It's Aj Agrawal, but oh. I just the name of the book. Yeah, I don't have my head. I can put it uh,
0: on the show notes later. But it's really interesting to approach to look at like the econo- the economics of the problems that you can tackle with it. ML. Yeah. Let me.
1: Uh, like, let me actually get it for you right now. I'll get you the name. Um, book. It is called Prediction Machines. Oh, really So cool. Prediction Machines by AJ Agarwal basically talks about uh, which problems are well suited for machine learning uh, and kind of helps your brain think like that. I think that's really good because, um, you know, you can learn machine learning through a bunch of courses, a bunch of doing it, but, like, you, you, you actually have to understand where the economics and, like, how to find problems that are well suited for machine learning economics, and I think that one is the other piece of the puzzle that if you're to do deep tech and AI, you need to understand and I think AJ covers it pretty well. Um, the other one, I mean, the uh, Old, old but gold is zero to one. It's my favorite startup book of all time. And uh, I always recommend, it. if you haven't read it, everybody should always read it.
0: Yeah. Talking about that, like I love the, that book as well. Like um, Peter Thiel has this famous phrase, like, we wanted flying cars and we got 140 characters. Do you believe that technological progress is slowing down? Do you believe that we are getting less.
1: Yeah. I, so I, I think actually, I kind of disagree with Peter on this. I think that's just the things we've focused on the past 30 years are a little less hard to see. Uh, we've gotten a lot better, a lot better at automation. We've gotten a lot better at electronics. We've gotten a lot better on, on the internet, right? I mean, there was basically no internet 30 years ago. Um, but those aren't like things you like see out the street. Like you, you don't look out the window and see those things necessarily. So, it just, mm-hmm. like, I think it kind of gives you the illusion that there has been that much progress just because the progress has been these very small things or these things are tucked away in a factory somewhere. Um, I, I don't really think it's slowing down. I think just the problems we've, you know, solved 30 years aren't just aren't things that you can like easily see. They're not like mechanical engineering problems. Um, so, I, I think a lot of that is due to that. I mean, we see it now with SpaceX. We're back to the Mech Eng stuff and we have rockets blasting <laughs> and landing. Mm-hmm. So, I think yeah. it's just like, you know, some technologies are more visible than others. Yeah,
0: I think so as well. Like, I think even if you think about the infrastructure, like you were saying, like, what you guys are doing, it's a really interesting advance on in the mining industry. And most people would never hear about it. But Yeah, exactly. Happening.
1: Like, you know, we, we could automate all of mining and nobody would know about it at least the yeah. average person yeah it's average like AI really oh, like, yeah. hasn't disrupted anything but like mining would be like fully automated people just wouldn't see it so yeah <laughs> i think it's a case of that
0: <laughs> yeah people will not will not know but we will feel the the impacts though of the increased productivity and pricing and things like that but.
1: yeah i i think the two biggest reasons we've actually seen a pretty decent amount of innovation the past 30 years. It's actually pretty simple. I think there's, um, there's a lot of patient capital and there's more and more of it every year. And what I mean by patient capital is that investors who are willing to see, you know, five, 10 years, see a problem to its end and willing to kind of invest money for upside in 10 years. If you look at like the 1970s, that was not a thing. Like Steve Jobs got kicked out, what, like twice? Yeah. Um, basically trying things with more longer term potential. And, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, like if Steve Jobs lived in the 2000s, he'd probably be m- much more wealthy. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just simply because the market wasn't like that in the 1970s. And this is like, I, I think it's actually like a really unique thing and then, no, you the, know, in the 2010s and the 2020s, it's just like that. And I think that encourages a lot of like innovation because to do innovation, you, you have to think long term. You're not thinking half a year. You're thinking three years. You're thinking five years. And uh, I think it's a, it's a pretty healthy ecosystem for innovation. And in, regarding like
0: raising capital, we're talking about capital now. Do you think that it's still harder yeah for deep tech uh, start to race or this, this is changing?
1: So I, I think it's, um, I wouldn't say it's harder, uh, it's just different. Like your rules of the game are a little different. Uh, your pool investors is a little narrower. Like not every investor wants to do deep tech, um, but like you know, I would say every third investor wants to do deep tech. So it's your your pool a little narrower, um, and the playbook is a little different. You know, you're, you're you're not being judged on the same playbook as SaaS or like some um, very consumer like sales enabled marketplace company. Um, I don't think that makes it easier or harder. It's just the rules are different, and as long as you acknowledge that these are different rules and. Play accordance to them I think it's the, about the same yeah yeah because just, just to kind of with that I think it's harder to raise a seed round for example as a, deep, as a deep tech company because your metrics are a little more abstract Um, but it's easier to raise a series A if you have if you execute on seed round because uh, the problem you see with SaaS is you raise a seed round and then you don't really have that much IP and then you spend a bunch of it on sales you get a bit of traction nobody wants you in series A because there's 10 other companies just like you five of which have already raised series A Yeah. Um. so I think it's like it may, it may be a little harder to get to a seed round but I think once you get to a seed round as long as you kind of Execute on your growth plan, I think it's actually in a lot of ways easier to raise as you get larger.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, as as you progress with the company in stages, it gets easier because it's harder to get to to actually a series A level on on the deep tech as well. So if you got there, you're definitely going to have something robust or interesting going on. Yeah, yeah.
1: Because the problems you crack are like you have twice the problems. You have both sales and technology <laughs> yeah. to crack. Yeah. If you survive all the way to Series A, like you're,
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: you're at you're at the top of the chain, right?
0: Yeah, so. you're around to something. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so as coming from the uh, AI and and being a founder, like as a deep tech founder, you need to learn a lot of things, like sales. You need to learn and consume a lot of information. Like, how do you keep yourself up to date? Like, how you yourself in the game, like in learning new things?
1: So I, I found the biggest thing to me was mindset. Like you have to be willing to understand that you don't know everything that's okay, but you're going to learn quick. And you just tell yourself that every day that, because um, a lot of times you'll, you'll see people, especially with like kind of much more even fancy degrees than I am, that like you, you kind of get into this false perception that like as a domain expert of what you're doing, you know everything. Yeah. Uh, and not just about machine learning, you just know everything in general. Like you kind of, you get this arrogance to you. And you just kind of have to go back to square one to yourself every week or so and be like, okay, I don't know everything. But at the same time, and even if it's not technology, even if it's sales, even if it's fundraising, I'm going to learn what the rules are. I'm going to learn how to play them. I'm going to learn these skills and I'm going to develop them. And I think... I think the mindset is the number one biggest thing. Because uh, to me, on the first year, I wasn't willing to learn enough. And until I kind of like kind of exceeded that ceiling and kind of realized that I do need to learn and I'm going to do it and do it genuinely, um, I, I think that's the most important part. And
0: when you look at someone
1: for hiring
0: and you look at this like learning skills, like how do you how do you think about like hiring the right type of people for uh, a deep tech company or a company with a lot of focus? And tech like your guys
1: yeah so i mean as as, as a stage company you're, you're always constrained by capital right you're, you're not like 200 million dollars to um you know spend on anybody so you ultimately have to make decisions like for the cost who can i hire and the way i see it is you usually have two options for the for your budget if you know you have your standard team of 10 or so off a seed round um you, you, you can hire people that are experienced um that are not that high potential so you know they're like fine they're okay engineers and they're very experienced uh, or, or you can hire people that are inexperienced but are super high potential um, and they're, they're, they, they may be like 23 24 um, they maybe have one year work experience somewhere but they're like super high potential and you, you can kind of see it based on the projects you test them on That they're just like have the capability to go above and beyond and kind of really kind of reach this absolute ceiling but they have no experience so like they have They've never really been at a company um, or they've barely been in a company. They've never ran a team. They've never been a manager. Uh, so you basically like you pick one or the other or you pick a blend of both. At our company, I, since machine learning itself is five years old, um, I decided to pick just high potential people um, that are not that experienced and just bet on them. And um, that's what we do. If something doesn't work out, we get rid of them six, six months or so. But we give people a lot of attempts to kind of find these superstars. And um, that's how we do it. Um, the, the reason I do it, like I said, is my basic philosophy is that in AI, it's only been really accessible, kind of this deep learning stuff for the five years or so. So it's impossible for anybody to have more than five years experience, aside from a couple super elite research labs that are, they cost like $2 million each that I can't get anyway. So um, that's kind of like, that was my pers- perspective at it. Um, and kind of, we are probably going to continue to follow that philosophy as we scale.
0: And and what do you think it's the biggest, um, let's say, the... the attractive factor that you guys have for people to want to work with you guys like what what do you think
1: so a lot of people do backgrounds in machine learning um then don't do jobs in machine learning or they they, did their job says machine learning but reality you're not really doing much like fundamental machine learning or even like applied machine learning you're doing like very basic stuff like regression or whatever um we have a problem that's actually well fit for machine learning and my engineers you know they have, they have at least spend half the day doing machine learning and the other half the day doing data science um so that's kind of the biggest thing i've noticed pulls people in like most people want to be if they do a background in machine learning especially a degree background they want to actually do it for their job and that's what we offer um so that's kind of the biggest selling point more than anything else i can give them
0: yeah i think the fact that is a really real and interesting problem that i, I was struck probably with uh, the factor as well it's not like it's a real thing.
1: Yeah, I had a, I had a data scientist the other day. So one of our customers, the way we're testing the technology is we're literally drilling holes. So we're saying, okay, I'm going to predict this, you predict this, and we're going to drill and see who's right. And we're, we're drilling 25 holes. Oh. Yeah. And I told, I told one of my engineers, I was really busy. So I was like, I need you to pick the holes. Like I've picked... 15, I need you to pick the last 10. I don't have time. You two, you guys pick. And they were, like, they stayed up, apparently, and they were, like, uh, this is in in the evening, and they're, like, this. they had this realization that the decisions we're making were going to be, like, physically executed in the real world, not just some kind of, like, yeah. abstract classification problem on, like, some picture somewhere, like, based on these classification decisions, like somebody is going to spend money to drill physical holes in the ground. Yeah. And that to them was like a really like, they, they were talking about it later. They were like, they were just like really uh, excited about it. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's, I really of go that.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. I think like getting into more machine learning and software into the real world. Yeah. I can see this as a, as a trend as well. I think that there's a lot of things to be done. Like like what's your guys things. And I, I don't I don't think that we are doing that much uh innovation in like the physical world as we could be doing actually
1: Yeah. I think it's 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 the five year lag. I, I really believe that. I think every technology when it gets mature enough for academia has a five year lag to real world to be deployed properly. Um I think it's an example of that. So I think like, you know, twenty fifteen, now twenty twenty. Now I see a lot of like this kind of classification machine learning being deployed in the real world. I don't see reinforcement or regenerative yet, but yeah. uh, I see like the stuff from five years ago. So I think like if you ever want to see what's going to happen in the real world in five years, think about like what was five years ago, kind of created in academia. That's the easiest way to do it. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's an example of that. Like, it, there's just a lag of like I guess information propagating. I don't really know why there's a lag, but. Uh, it's just, like, what I've empirically noticed, it's about five years.
0: You you mentioned earlier about YC, and you guys went through the program. Like, tell me a little bit about your experience there, like how it was for you guys.
1: Yeah, so we originally did winter 2020, Wacom um, Combinator. And then the coronavirus apocalypse happened, and uh, basically the entire thing went remote. Kind of, like, there was just absolute chaos everywhere, chaos on the markets. Like, it was just madness. And, like, we were supposed to raise money in March of 2020. <laughs> Jesus so, Christ. Um, so we deferred our demo day. We're like, this is, we cannot do this. This is <laughs> yeah. I was like, I, I, maybe some superstars can raise, but we're not one of them. So yeah. like, we're out. The worst um,
0: period ever to be raising. Right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> so we spent the next six months uh, building our company, scaling our sales, scaling our technology. We basically, we didn't have that much money left because we didn't budget mm-hmm. for it. But uh, it was just me and my co-founder and we had one engineer. And we just worked our asses off for six months doing sales tech to, uh, get ourselves ready for a demo day. This one was a virtual one. Uh, We then uh, basically, um, so YC, our our biggest thing for us was the YC network. So um, once you're you're in the YC network, you can email many founders and ask them for help. We asked a lot of them for help uh, for fundraising. Basically, founders would if they like our company, we would recommend us to other, uh, to their investors, basically. And yeah. that's how we raised around. Um, So that was, um, we, we ended up raising a $2 million seed round, basically just executing on that strategy on repeat. We would just email a founder, be like, I am also from YC. Like, if you're interested in a company, would you like to help us? And then some, some people responded, most didn't, or most would take a call and like not be interested. But the ones that were interested really helped. And
0: you are based in Toronto,
1: right? You guys moved Toronto. to Silicon Valley, yeah. or are staying in Toronto? So we moved. We moved before coronavirus, and then we moved back when the world ended. Mm-hmm. And then we've been in Toronto ever since. You know, things are so remote these days; it doesn't really matter where you are. So we've stayed in Toronto. Uh, yeah. For context, we're in Toronto because Toronto is the uh, the hub of mining financing. 70% of mining transactions go through the Toronto Stock Exchange so uh, most of mining financing basically happens here so a lot of the corporate offices are here so we we stick close to that
0: oh this is interesting and and it's it's strong in AI as well right like Toronto has like a like good community of ml in in, in machine learning Canada yeah. overall but Toronto is strong
1: uh, Toronto in general like machine learning is probably the biggest edge but we have just a lot of um, I think really good founder sort of really good education for deep tech stuff. Like we're really kind of on the cutting edge of various kind of deep tech. Um, and we have a weak, I would say, capital infrastructure. Like it's hard to raise money locally, uh, which is why there's not a lot of companies. There there's some, but it's it's not too big. Uh, but we have really good just pure raw talent pool, especially at a much lower cost than Silicon Valley. Yeah. Um, so it's a good place, I would say, to scale a, a startup and to found a startup. It's just you have to accept the fact that your capital networks here are not as strong as the United States. So that's the trade-off tradeoff.
0: Yeah, I think that, that now that we have more investors like investing outside Silicon Valley because of COVID, I think that this is going to change a lot of capital is going to flow to places where we have like a lot of engineering talent a lot of power engineering talent. like toronto has a lot of
1: yeah for sure and i think it's you know it's, it's not just canada you you have similar situations like singapore as well uh, as parts part of southeast asia um, usually from southeast asia you can invest to india as well um i've seen a lot of interesting stuff in africa and africa is especially interesting because they don't have a lot of the like the basic technologies that we have in the west already so you can kind of almost built them from scratch and even in potentially differently from scratch kind of in a completely fresh economy so i think there's a lot of really interesting kind of places that like i actually i'm, I'm pretty happy that's the case because i think like this super cluster of capital like in value, was just like an inefficient use of capital like yeah. i think it was like a net negative on innovation i think like what we have now is actually much more healthy uh and you'll you'll will actually be able to do much better in it innovation through it
0: yeah i think so as well i think it's going to be an interesting for now on seeing many startups popping up around the world and other clusters but and actually the compiler probably is the internet itself but things going to be distributed most likely than
1: uh... yeah it's a pretty interesting thing like like silicon valley invented their best competitor which was through the internet yeah like, <laughs> the silicon valley creating the internet diversified innovation yeah. uh, and different and then late in like 15 years later diversified capital to fund that same innovation yeah yeah but um, i think i i think silicon valley will still be at the top i i think there's a lot of good structural stuff going for it it's just um now there's going to be a lot of other clusters popping up and there'll be the capital to reward companies scaling within those clusters. Do
0: you guys have like, are operating
1: remote or do you guys have an office? How you guys um, So Toronto is still in lockdown. So we're, all the offices aren't o- o- open yet. And it's been like this for a year. So, you know, we basically got through our first year runway being completely remote. Um, I found it's been, I would say fine uh, for a team of under 10 being fully remote. is not really an issue because you can build a lot of one-on-one relationships Built a lot of one-on-one relationships, coordinate with people. Like it's, you know, it's 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 kind of like one big family. You have. So it's it's not really an issue whether you're in person or remote. Um, I would say once we're in Series A, we're gonna, probably going to go to hybrid. So we're going to do probably two days in the office and three mm-hmm. days off, um, and then that's for our engineering team. So we'll keep the engineering team clustered in Toronto, and then our sales team will be international, full remote. Yeah, yeah, makes sense, makes a lot of sense, and by.
0: We are heading to the end, but I have a last question. If I had a chance to send just one message to every human being on earth, what would it be?
1: Uh, I don't even know. Let me, let, me, let me think about that one for a second. <laughs> I would just say be hopeful for the future. Like, I, I really think that uh, we're seeing a lot of great innovation and a lot of great innovation will create a lot of great things over the next hundred years. So, yeah. like... I think have hope in humanity, have hope in the future that (laughs) we'll solve most of our problems and we'll make a better world over the next hundred years.
0: Yeah, amazing. It's It's a good message. I like it. Yeah. I do believe that we should be hopeful for the future. A lot of things are, are are happening, a lot of innovation, a lot of technology being developed, a lot of problems are being solved. We're gonna get like a better future me, than we have present. Daniel, it was a pleasure talking to you. Just an amazing, really fun. Great to have you. I hope that you guys uh, have a lot of success, and I hope that we're gonna live in a world where we're gonna have your mining brain operating our minds. Just All right. so. awesome.
1: Take care.
0: Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Deep Tech Show. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Deep Tech Daily to keep updated on what's next.